0: Hawks, Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Now, here's your host, Paul Moyer and Michael Bumpus. You are listening to Hawks Live. I'm Michael Bumpus. He's Paul Moyer. Nasachobe is our producer, and he's getting us going. So, Paul, we got to talk about this game on Sunday. The New England Patriots came into town, and Cam Newton was here, and they had a chance to win this ball game. The defense stepped up, did what they had to do, didn't allow him in the end zone. You could talk all the crap you want to about this defense. They gave up this. They gave up that. But end of the day, when it was time to bow up and make a play, they were there and got it done.
0: Look, we, we've we played well. You know, it's, The fourth quarter of Dastley have been hurting us, and – it doesn't matter how you you win a game, right? You win it with offense, defense, special teams. I truly believe they're going to be able to fix their issues. Um, it, a lot of it is in the secondary. We had some busts. I think the frustrating part is right when we take a big lead, a double-digit lead, we've given up a big play and let them right back in real quick within a minute, minute and a half. Yeah. Uh, so we got to clean that up. But there's so many great things going on offensively. And even defensively, the one thing about defense, look, we're, we we got a lot of playmakers. We finally saw Dunbar trust his instincts and made a big interception. As you consider to see Jamal Adams make plays in the running game and run down Cam Newton on a big play. I mean, I, it was a zero-yard sack, but it was still a sack. And at the end of the day, the biggest play? Man, it's the last play of the game, last play. you know, and it don't matter at that point. I, you know, everybody gets so focused, Bump, and you know this on, oh, the defense gave up, you know, squandered a lead, or they gave up 250 yards in the fourth quarter. That's that's a lot of yards, by the way, 14 <laughs> first downs. Yes. Um, but but I think they can clean that up, and, and I think they will. I, the, the exciting thing for me, Bump, is we got a lot of playmakers and I think we can find a lot of ways to win games.
1: Yep, find a lot of ways to win games, especially when Russell Wilson is doing what it is he does at extremely high level, 31 for 35, 322 yards, 4 i touchdowns. Excuse me, I'm reading the wrong stat line. Where am I at, Paul Moyer? (laughs) Five touchdowns? Five touchdowns to five different recipients. That's the thing that impresses me the most is that you didn't key in on one guy. You didn't say, okay, we're going to highlight this guy and make sure that he gets X amount of yards or touchdowns. You're spreading the ball around. DK, Demo, Lockett, Carson. Uh, I mean, the fact that he is able to play as composed as he's been playing – and keep his eyes down the field and make plays is great to me. Does that mean that this offensive line is performing at a higher level than we expected?
0: Well, I, I think so. They're protecting him exceptionally well. I mean, for the most part, he's had some clean pockets, and even when they've put some pressure, there's been gaps for him to step up in the pocket and escape out wide, and I just think it's difficult for defenses right now. I mean, the running game I thought was very good last week, I think it'll be more productive as we go. But right now we're throwing the ball so well, you know, even though it was balanced, you know, I think that the, the the focus is on throwing the football. Um, I, I'm going to throw one at you. Okay. Look, I, I think Gilmore uh, is the best corner in the league. I and agree. I don't, I'm not sure it's that close. Ramsey's pretty good. But Gilmore, the way that he can mirror a, a wide receiver and the quickness he had, there, there was a play at the, I think it was in the fourth quarter, where uh, uh, D.K. made a double move on him, a kind of a slant and go.
1: Yeah.
0: And that Kilmore read that thing, and it, I, I, I've never seen a guy run a play a better slant and go than he did. But I think the reason why we won that game and, and the attitude of our team was because of D.K. Metcalf. Yeah. I mean, he went after the MVP, defensive MVP last year, and not only was he not afraid of him, um, I, he owned him. I mean he the big touchdown one, the way he dominated him in the running game and blocking him uh, I thought he set the tempo for that attitude for this team really impressive
1: yeah, he did, and he was quote unquote the little brother in that situation. you got the defensive MVP following you that was I went to see a, I go okay. Is D.K. going to command the respect that we think he deserves uh-huh. and have Gilmore follow him? They and that lets you know, okay, D.K., real. You got the best defensive player in the league from last year following you. Yeah. You got to step up now. And if I'm D.K., you notice that? And now it's how are you going to respond? Are you going to be like, oh, shucks, the, the best defensive player in the league is following me? Or are you going to say, let's get it, the best defensive player in the league is following me? And we know what D.K. said. He said, let's get it. I'm ready to go.
0: Okay, so now we got this week. How fired up is Tyler Lockett? <laughs> the best player in the league last year, mm-hmm. the best corner in the NFL said, now I'm going I'm, I'm going after DK. Do yeah. we have a change into the guard here? Does that fire up Tyler
1: Lockett? It, it could fire up Tyler Lockett, but I think that he's just going to say, you know what? That means I have more opportunities. To make plays. And we're going to talk about how many opportunities these Seahawks are going to make plays. Because coming up next, we dive into the Seahawks Week 3 opponent with John Machoda from The Athletic right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Hawks Live. I'm Michael Bumpus. That is Paul Moyer. Behind the scenes of National getting it done, and right now we get to talk to John Machoda from the Athletic. John, how you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you guys? You know, we we can't we complain. We good now, we're hanging in there, having a good time. <laughs> let's let's jump right into it. What are your initial thoughts of these Cowboys? I mean, they almost lose a game to a team they probably should have beat. Um, comes down to a watermelon onside kick that Atlanta decided to watch spin. Jerry Jones is in the booth losing his mind. Then he's crazy. All these emotions happen within five minutes of real time. What are your thoughts on this football team? <laughs> I still need to see a lot more. Uh, uh, just from these
2: first two weeks, it's uh, you look at it, there's a lot of similarities to previous Cowboys teams, which, hey, we should kind of expect without having – the normal off season without having any preseason games. So there's definitely some growing pains and some uh, adjusting going on here. I'd say my biggest takeaway so far is that, you know, this team is going to be kind of what we thought it was. It was going to be very strong offensively. The offense is going to have to carry this team. They'll go as far as that offense can carry them defensively. uh, It just hasn't been very good. You know, the one spot I thought would be good is at least up front with Alden Smith coming back and he looked really good in training camp and he's played pretty well. And Everson Griffin and DeMarcus Florence together, you're like, that's going to be a pretty good pass rush. And just, it just hasn't been there. they got two sacks in two games. I mean, it just, it's been a huge disappointment there. And so uh, they they need to do some adjusting on that defensive side of the ball. But offensively, you know, I think they found something in that second half against Atlanta. And so because of that, it makes me think that we could be looking at a pretty high-scoring game here coming up Sunday.
0: Yeah, they're they're awfully talented. And I, I wanted to ask you before I jump in some of the players – what was it like to see a 100,000 seat stadium with 20,000? Or what was the number? Were they, did they allow 20,000 in? And, and what was the noise like?
2: So, yeah, it ended up being 21,000, a little over 21,000. And uh, so um, they have the Texas High School uh, State Championship games uh, in that stadium. And so I've been there for some of those. And so that was what it was like, was like the earlier games. Because even some of the like the later, the big school state championship games, they, they get pretty full in that lower bowl. But I, it, it reminded me of some of the middle of the day, like some of the smaller school state championship games that they have there. It had like a high school feel to it. And it was kind of a late arriving crowd, which the Cowboys usually have for those, well, their noon games here. Um, but by the time at the end of that game, how much everybody was invested in it because it was, everyone knew there, every Cowboy fan in the building was like, I can't believe we might steal this game. And so they were cheering like it was almost a Super Bowl. So I will say, after Zerline's kick went, well, after from the moment they recovered that onside kick until Zerline's kick went through as the game-winning field goal, and even a couple minutes after the game, it sounded like that stadium was, I wouldn't say completely full, but it sounded a lot more than 21,000. I'd say at least half full. So it was—it added something to it for sure because I didn't, I didn't get to go out to L.A. for the season opener, but I, I did hear some video from on, on the actual field level and just how quiet it was in there. It sounded like it was even, it was even more quiet than practices are. And so uh, it, it definitely brought something. There's no question that they fed off the fans, even though there was only 21,000 in the stadium that holds 100,000.
0: Well, the Cowboys picked a good time to play the Seahawks here because there there will be no fans. And we were here last week, and it 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 was weird. I mean, I, I've not, I haven't missed a home game in thirty seven years of player, coach, and broadcasting, and um, it, it was it was hard to get used to. Me, it was really quiet. So, be interesting to see how how the Cowboys handle that. But yeah, we'll talk about a couple players. I mean, they're loaded. We we knew Amari Cooper and. You know, obviously, Ezekiel Elliott, Prescott, uh, my, my son, one of his good friends, uh, unfortunately, Blake Jarwin, blew his knee out. There was another talented person um, that won't be there. But how, how good is this C.D. Lamb? I mean, we've only seen two games of him, but uh, that's three really good receivers.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you, the thing about Lamb is, you know, from what we got to see in training camp, the only reason you would even have known he was a rookie is because the Cowboys do this thing where the rookies aren't—they don't have – stars on their helmet. They don't get those until the season starts. And so he had basically a blank helmet, you know, it says lamb on the front. But other than that, I mean, he he looked like he was ready for whatever they threw at him from day one. I mean, he was working with the first group from the very first practice. He was out there returning punts right from the beginning. You knew that they were going to use him in a variety of ways. And, he was, and, and really we saw that. I mean, it was the same thing with Ezekiel. And even really Dak Prescott, their rookie years. So you kind of had a feeling that, hey, if this guy can step in and at least understand the offense, he he fits in perfectly to that slot role that was filled by Randall Cobb last year, who then ended up signing with Houston. And so, he can do all the slot work, but then he can also go on the outside. I mean, I mean, he just really doesn't have a lot of weaknesses in his game. He's the guy that takes the jet sweeps for them when they when they try and you know do some more tricky things. That there's not a lot of that, but when they do, he's usually the go-to guy on that and that. That's to be expected with his ability to break tackles and that's the thing like he, he, he's a solid blocker he's a good route runner um, he can catch the underneath stuff he can make guys miss and then he's he's big enough that he can go up and he can make contested catches so uh, I, I will say this my biggest takeaway is that multiple times over the last couple of weeks I, I just find myself you know asking other writers how did this guy fall to seventeen it makes hmm. it makes no sense, but
1: you know the Cowboys needed help on defense but they couldn't pass up on him. All right, John, here's the bigger question on C.D. Lamb. Sounds good, rookies, making plays. Did he call Michael Irvin, like Des did, and ask if he could wear the number 88?
2: You know, that's a really good question, and, and, and he did. He, ca- he called Michael Irvin to talk about it, um, but C.D. Lamb's hand was forced on that. You know, C.D. wanted to wear number 10, and uh, and then Jerry stepped in, Jerry Jones stepped in, and he wanted C.D. to wear 88. Now, he says it's because, of his old college teammate when Jerry Jones played at Arkansas, uh, Jerry Lamb, who wore 88 there and uh, was a good friend to Jerry Jones's, and, and he passed away recently. But I also think there's something about it with just the way Jerry Jones is and, and being the showman that he is, that he likes it when that top receiver is wearing this, this number that is, is an iconic wide receiver number in the NFL, and certainly it's an iconic number for the Dallas Cowboys. And so I don't know that C D necessarily like, pushed for 88. I think it was more hey, you know, we really want you to wear this. And, and he's not going to argue with Jerry Jones over it. He's happy to be with the Cowboys. So he's like, yeah, I'll do it. But, you know, that's the thing. Like, a lot of these younger receivers, especially when you see in college, like, they like the lower numbers. Like, they like yeah. the numbers and like the teams and then especially the single-digit stuff. So, like, he doesn't seem – well, at least he didn't seem like an 88 to me. But then since he's been wearing it, you kind of get used to it. But, uh, yeah, no, that that was a, that was a Jerry Jones call there
0: they're loaded with big names on offense and even on on defense. You mentioned Alden Smith, but what are some of the other names out there? The Seahawks fans may not have heard of, but uh, should be looking out for this week.
2: Well, definitely on defense, it, it's, it's the rookie corner, Trayvon Diggs, and, and his shoulder's a little bit banged up to the point where he didn't practice yesterday, but he was out there today and he was a full, ter- full participant. So I think they were just giving him a little time off. But I mean, he's basically been their defense's version of CD Lamb. He got thrown right out there, right, right from the beginning, pretty much. And, uh, and, and he's, and he looks like their best chance as a playmaking corner just because he's a long guy and, and, and he's, in practice, we've seen him get his hands on a lot of balls and get interceptions. He hasn't been able to get one yet in a game. Uh, but he's the guy, he's their big, big corner that really is kind of stepping into that Byron Jones role who, you know, Byron Jones signed that huge contract with the Dolphins. And so Trayvon Diggs has definitely got to keep an eye on. Uh, he, he's, I think he's going to be a really special player on the back end. Um, Jalen Smith is their top linebacker right now with Leighton Van Der Esch being out and, and, and he's kind of their playmaker in, in, in the middle of the field. The thing is with Jalen Smith is that he's really good running downhill. So, I mean, I see them bringing him on some blitzes and things like that to kind of get in Russell's face. Um, but the moving side-to-side side and being targeted in the passing game, there have been teams that have had success against him, uh, whether it be with running backs or tight ends in, in, in open space. And so, you know, that's uh, that's somewhere I fully expect the Seahawks to try and exploit because uh, there's been plenty of tape put out of that. But when he's coming downhill and he's blitzing, uh, you know, as a blitzing linebacker, he can, be, he can be very good. And the other thing to keep an eye on, too, is that they had moved to a 3-4 scheme with Mike Nolan, their new defensive coordinator, and they'd been in a 4-3 forever with Rod Mirinelli and it, that 3-4 really hadn't been a good fit for Everson Griffin and Demarcus Lawrence who are used to rushing with their hand on the ground. So I would look for them to be rushing more like 4-3 edge, edge rushers uh, in this game.
1: John, you hit us with a lot of knowledge today. We appreciate that, That we appreciate you taking time out of your day to holler at us, man. Have a good one. All right, you too, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was John. Up next, we get to talk to Seahawk linebacker Cody Barton right here on Michael Bumpus. He's Paul Moyer. Seahawks Live. Hawks Live, sorry. Hawks, Hawks live. live,
0: every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN
1: Seattle. I'm Michael Bumpus. He's Paul Moyer. You're listening to Hawks Live from CenturyLink Field every Thursday right here at 710 at 7 o'clock. Right now, we get to talk to Cody Barton. How you doing, Cody? Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for joining us. thank you. I say your name, Cody, and I just want to say CB. Does anyone ever call you CB, like growing up, some of your boys, anybody?
0: Yeah, no, people call me CB. Boom! I'd say, I say, I told him, "Don't ask that." What if he says no? I go, <laughs> your, "Your your question's over, man." I get, it goes right to me.
1: Hey, I, I rolled the dice. CB, let's get it, baby. Paul, what you got?
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you right there. Hey, hey Cody. Before I, I get into a couple things, last week we had on uh, KJ Wright. Uh, he was nice enough to join an, us and, and Bump asked him a question. Who was the most impressive guy in camp, or who's the most impressed with, is particularly on the young guys? I want you to hear what he had to say about that.
1: I believe out of all the linebackers that Cody had the best count, you know, out, out of everybody, he's just somebody that's just real instinctive, um, got some picks out there, just, he's going to have a really good career.
0: That's uh, that's high praise for one of the classiest, smartest, you know, one of the best linebackers in Seahawks history. Just your thoughts on uh, what he had to say there. I mean, it,
3: you know, coming from from a guy like Cage, you know, it obviously it makes you feel real good, you know, to be looked down like that on you know, KJ is someone I look up to and you know, like you said, you know, he's a super smart player. Um, you know, a long time player, just you know, he does he does everything right, just real good ball player, just makes plays, and so to hear him say that about me, you know, it makes me feel good inside.
0: So let's talk about this week. I mean, uh you know, had some injuries, Avi with Irvin. Um I, I'm assuming they're they're playing you at both outside spots right now. Is that is that correct?
1: I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that a boy,
0: CB. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> well, again, with that kind of high praise, I, I expect you're going to be on the field this week. That's for sure.
1: Hey, Cody, you I mean, had yeah, – we'll, we'll, Go ahead. Go for, go for, Cody, you had a play – that um, I call it an ooh play. When someone makes a play and I look at my buddy, I go, ooh, he just made a play. (laughs) You you ran down on kickoff, and you really set the tone against the New England Patriots. I always, I've never been, I'm not a big dude. I'm 5'11", 190, so I never really ran through a person playing football. And I would imagine it feels like when you hit the sweet spot on a fastball and the ball just pops off your bat and you don't even feel it. What is it like when you make a huge play like that at CenturyLink?
2: I mean,
3: obviously it feels good, but it, it happens fast. You know what I mean? Like even on that kickoff, it just happens fast. You're run, you're running down full speed all of a sudden. Next thing you know, you're up celebrating just because it happens that fast. You know? And so we're all running down there towards the ball to make the play, and I just happen to come free, and so and no one touched me, so I was just coming free full speed. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, sir. That
0: you know that was that's a big hit, and it's it's different too because you know, most guys, you know. I didn't play any special teams in college. I did in the NFL until I finally got a start. But it's different run down and kickoffs and punts and all that stuff for you. They call that flexing. They flex. could, that was my mini flex. That was his low-key flex. But, but but how is that adjustment? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, you got to throw those out there. How, But how is that adjustment for you? Because, look, everybody wants to start and be on the field. But, you know, special teams are a big part of the of the game. Hey, well, you know what's funny is I was, I'm actually used to it because, all through
3: college, I didn't really start until my senior year in college. And so my first three years in, in college even, it was all special teams. And so um, – and I like special teams too. You know, it's, it's a chance to make a big play. And so, I mean – and I take pride in special teams as well. You know, it's another it's chance to be on the field and play football. You know what I mean? And so I, I enjoy special teams. And, and the thing that I did notice that was different here is, you know, in college – some guys might not go as hard on special teams, and that's, that's a break for them versus in the NFL. that's Some guys make a living just on special teams, and so everyone's out there going as hard as they can versus in the collegiate level. And so that actually makes it more intense. And, and like I said, just everything's just so fast.
0: You know, one of the cool things uh, about CenturyLink and the 12s is the relationship with the special team guys. You know, when they run down on the kickoff, man, last week, no fans. Yeah. Just give your thoughts on how weird that was or just what was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a weird adjustment at first. It kind of just
3: feels like, like in training camp or scrimmages there at CenturyLink, you know, it's, it's kind of like that, you know, with no fans. But I actually kind of, in my opinion, I, I kind of like not having fans in certain aspects. I mean, the fans are great. I love having fans over everything, like especially in CenturyLink, the 12s are, are the best. But it's, it's a different environment where you can hear all the talking going on and all the smack talk and all the all the adjustments and audibles and all the hits, you can hear every little thing. You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of cool to hear that stuff, but at the same time, you know, there's no, there's nothing like central going rocking rock and full of fans.
1: Yeah, no, nothing like that. Now, you're in, you're in your second year, and players make a jump. They start to understand things a little better. What has been the biggest change, I guess, you've seen in the play or yourself here your second year in the NFL? Yeah, I just feel
3: mentally the game has really slowed down for me. You know, that first year as a rookie going in, you know, everything, everything just happening so fast. Pick up a new playbook at the next level. Everything just seems so fast. But coming into my second year, I feel like just everything about the game has just slowed down. And so that just – that in itself just gives me more confidence and, and lets me be able to just go out there and make plays.
0: We heard that uh, Bobby Wagner and KJ get to the facility like at 5.30 in the morning. I don't know if that's true or not, but it – I wouldn't doubt it. Tell me what your day's like. You know, you don't have to go through Monday through Friday, but just what's the normal day? When do you first get there? When do you go home and maybe fill in a few blanks along the way? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm there
3: between 6 and 7 a.m. every morning during during game prep, and then I, I leave the facility about 6 at night. So I'm only there about 12 hours. But <laughs> I 12 hours. KJ, KJ and Bobby do get there early. They probably get there around – on a normal day, they're probably there, like, at 6. Uh, sometimes earlier, like on Wednesdays, we go in early. But, I mean, we're there for a good 12 hours, sometimes more. And and it's just the minute we get there, it's just straight football the whole day.
0: You know what's crazy about that is, again, that – this isn't a mini flag. Just go back in time. In my days, yeah, we were there. We, we would actually do special team meetings that we would go walk on the field. Um, then we'd do, you know, our position and as a team. Then we, we would go do some walkthroughs on the field. Then you do practice for back then, it was like two and a half hours, come back, watch film. You, you guys aren't allowed on the field that much anymore. I mean, you can't. Are you guys allowed to do walkthroughs? Or does that count as part of your time on the field? No, we're, we're allowed to do walkthroughs. Okay, but it's, it has to be at a, at a different tempo,
3: obviously. But I mean, yeah, we do our meetings, our walkthroughs, our lifts, obviously practice and meetings after and stuff. And so, I mean, it's probably similar to yours. I mean, obviously, there's there's been some rule change and there's limited times of, of things you can do, and and especially with COVID too. You know what I mean? Like lifting and stuff. they're going to be X amount of people in a certain area and stuff like that. And so, I mean, so I'm kind of going on a tangent here with the COVID stuff. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 it yeah, it's different. All day. I mean, <laughs>
1: Hey Cody, so your your first week you saw an offense who you thought was gonna throw the ball a lot, that's what they, they did. Your second week you saw an uh, offense that you thought was gonna run the ball a lot, end up throwing the rock a bit. What challenges are you seeing presented by the Dallas Cowboys?
3: Um, I mean they're they're a good team, you know. They got a good quarterback, good running back, good receivers, solid line, so I mean, they got a lot of weapons, you know, they they like to run the rock with uh with Zeke and then they have the compliment, the compliment throw game off of that with their receivers. And so, I mean, I would expect more throws, but at the same time, I mean, cause we've been good at stopping the run these past two weeks. And so I really don't know what's going to happen. I mean, that's, that's the fun part with, you know, preparing for a game. And, and that's kind of the game within the game when you're preparing and, and, and seeing, you know, what do you think a team's going to do and how, how, how can they try you here? How they can test your run defense or how they can test this or, you know what I mean? Just, I mean, that's what the game's in the game. I, I really don't know, but
2: you know they're
0: going to try to run the ball. I mean, shoot, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you, you know, and that, Cody, actually, you're right. You don't know. This is a weird year. I, I was pulling up some, uh, some stats, and there are f- 10 teams in the NFL averaging over 400 yards a game not nine defenses given up over 400 yards. I mean, the, the game, it, its it, obviously it's evolved, it's changed, but you're right, you don't know. I mean, New England last week, you thought for sure they're going to run. I mean, the Seahawks have been a running team. Uh, you know, we throw it, we're, we're balanced. So um, every every week's different. But I'm going to ask you one one personal question again. You guys get one day off a week, it's Tuesday. What, what do you do on Monday night to, to have some fun? With COVID and stuff, nothing.
1: Oh <laughs> boy! There you go. He tried to I mean, set was, you
3: up. <laughs> yeah, hey, he was trying to give me right there. <laughs> no, no. no I just, Friends come over. Monday, Monday night I mean, is, my, is. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Monday night is my my one night where cause we'll be done with meetings, and then I'll have about you know two or three hours or to relax on Monday night. That's where I just take time to just really relax. That's maybe that's maybe those those two or three hours where I'm not really doing football even either. You know what I mean? I'm just hanging out. Watching a show, relaxing. Because then, even even on Tuesday on our on our our off day, it's it's back to ball. Even though it's our off day, you know what I mean. So that's that's yeah. maybe the two or three hours out of the week that I really just had to relax and just unplug my mind.
1: Takes it easy on a Monday. We appreciate you hollering at us on a Thursday. Yeah,
0: that Monday he's taking easy's more than you do in a week.
1: Hey, yes, <laughs> by far, <Exactly. laughs> by far. Hey, Cody, appreciate you taking time, man.
0: I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Cody.
1: All right. We got you covered with all things Seahawks and the NFL. As a professor, John Clayton joins us next on Hawks Live.
0: Hawks Live every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: I'm Michael Bumpus. He's Paul Moyer. This is Hawks Live every Thursday at 7 right here on 710 ESPN. And we got some funk playing. So you know what's coming up next. We got John Clay. John, how are you doing?
4: I'm doing great now. they got the music going. Hey, what are we going to do tomorrow? I was hoping that Dave Wyman was going to be there. So what are we going to do with Jim Moore watching Garner Minshew getting absolutely blown out, having a bad game against Ryan Fitzpatrick?
0: Hang on. I'm going to call Dave and I'm going to go home and have him take over.
4: No, you don't, I want you to hear. Okay, it's, like,
0: it's just checking. No, I, 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 no but again, it's sure. like we, we,
4: we talked about this because you know what he is as far as a Garner Minshew fan, and I think everybody in this area is, but, I mean, he's been off in his throwing. He's down like three touchdowns, and it has been ugly.
1: Yeah, it's been ugly, but I'm a koogan and, hey, we make ugly things pretty at times, John. So Not hopefully today. he Not turns today. it around. I'm hoping he does, John. I'm hoping he does. John. <laughs> After two weeks of NFL play, this NFC West is looking tough, isn't it?
4: It, it really is. I mean, you can arguably say it's the best division in a two-week start that we've almost ever seen. I mean, there's only been two times since they went to eight uh, divisions uh, back in what, 1969, that you've had seven and one starts by the four teams in the division, three teams being six and oh, and that was back in 2002, and that was in the AFC West, and I think the Raiders were one and one, and they ended up going to the Super Bowl, and so now what you're looking at is you got three teams, San Francisco being one and one, but three teams being two and oh, and you look at the three teams, I mean, I, Arizona, we knew was going to be probably one of the most improved teams in football, and they are, but I'm still Stunned by the Rams because they're uh, they're a little bit better on offense, not a little, but you know, not great. But you know they got the three running back uh, rotation and uh, Jared Goff has four touchdown passes in two games. But I'm stunned by how well they're doing on defense because I mean if you take Aaron Donald and uh, Michael Brockers and then Jer- uh, Jalen Ramsey, name me the other eight starters who's not named Victor Rapp. We don't know who the other seven starters are, but they're doing well. Well, if you don't know, you know I don't know. Yeah, nobody knows. Uh, John, I
0: was looking at some statistics today, and uh, I just mentioned we had uh, Cody Barton on earlier, and there are 10 offenses right now averaging over 400 yards a game. Is it just offenses have gotten better, which, my goodness, that's a huge jump in one year. Is it just – Defense having to be able to practice? Is it rule? what What is going on here?
4: We thought what was going to happen was that defenses were going to have the edge on the offenses because it's hard to put together an offensive line scheme that's going to click in the first couple of weeks. We thought it was going to be hard to get a passing offense together in the first couple of weeks. And we were wrong because what ended up happening is that now you have 11 quarterbacks that have 100 and uh, 100 plus quarterback rating. You know that including Russell Wilson, you know that the quarterbacks are doing great. You have more running than you've had in maybe in the last five, six years. That's doing well. Offensive lines, other than the ones that have had too many changes where they've had maybe four changes on the offensive line. They're doing well, so the offenses are so much further ahead than the defenses, and if you have a quarterback who's good, and of course you've got 11 quarterbacks right now with a 100-plus quarterback rating, you have a big edge. And so, you know, it's like anything else. We can't predict what it was going to be like when you have such a new thing where you didn't have off-season programs and preseason. But, again, what you're seeing is offenses at a high level. I mean, at this stage right now, offenses are averaging you know 25.15 points a game. That's the best ever in the first two weeks of an NFL season, 1,611 yards on points.
1: John, there have been a lot of injuries this uh, first couple of weeks, teams 0-2, teams one and one which team should be panicking the most? I have an idea who it is. I want to see what you think.
4: San Francisco. Although they're not going to panic this week. They're playing a bad Giants team that lost Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard, you know, two key offensive guys on their team. But uh they're in deep deep trouble right now in San Francisco because they lose Nick Boza, Solomon Thomas, you know, they lose two running backs for Heem. Mozart, and they lose Tevin Coleman with a knee injury. They're already down. Richard Sherman, you know, they're down. They've had seven wide receivers either on opt-outs or injured reserve they can be in big trouble once they get past the Giants game, and believe me, the number two team would be the team the Seahawks play on Sunday, the Dallas Cowboys, because they're starting two cornerbacks are out, two linebackers are out, Sean Lee and uh, Leighton Layton you know, they uh, have an injured uh, Demarcus Lawrence at defensive end, their two tackles are injured, uh, you got uh, Collins on injured reserve, and right now they don't know if Tyron Smith's going to be able to play, so you throw all those together, San Francisco Francisco and Dallas right now in very bad shape, and this is a Dallas team, believe it or not, that uh, you, you talk about their ability to rush the passer. They're worse than Seattle because they only have two sacks, six pressures a game, and where Seattle has three sacks and eight pressures a game, and they've got a situation where they're turning things around and going to a hybrid three-four-four-three four, four, three defense, and it's not working. They can't get pressure on the quarterback.
0: Yeah, this will be an interesting week. You know, certainly for the Seahawks. Look, Atlanta doesn't give up sacks. The Patriots don't give up sacks. You know, Dallas is a tough one too. Just their their O line. But yeah, I want I want to ask you something. 1983, I had a broken rib, and I I got a shot, and it was a long needle. I mean, we're talking long. Now, if I'd have known they could puncture my lung doing that. I, I may not have had it, and by the way, I didn't get one the second half because the shot hurt more than the rib. Mm-hmm. But you know, just one. What's the fallout from that? And, and, and with Tyrod Taylor, who's the one who ended up having to go to the hospital? What's the fallout from it? And, and two, does does he get his job back?
4: No. I think right now, if Justin Houston plays as well as he did in taking Patrick Mahomes into overtime and actually having a double-digit lead against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, I think it's going to be hard for Tyrod Taylor to be able to get his starting job back. But, I mean, it was a weird situation because he hurt his ribs in the middle of the week, last week in practice, and so, you know, he he felt they want put him on the injury list on Friday, but he felt good enough that it's like, okay, let me get a shot on Sunday and see where it goes. So, 90 minutes before the game he gets the shot what he didn't realize it punctured his lung and so now 60 seconds before the start of the game he can't breathe and they say okay uh, Justin Houston you go in there and start and so now what you're looking at I don't know how long he's going to be out but with a punctured lung it's got to be an extended period of time but it's like these things happen and of course you know being in that locker room and again these are things I can't see but you've seen this happens more than we can expect, that something like that can happen. Uh, but, again, it's so strange, and it's so bad for Tyrod Taylor. You know, you got Anthony Lynn, the head coach, really likes him a lot and yeah. wants him to be the starting quarterback, but he can't put him out there until he's 100%, and it's going to be a while before he's 100%.
0: I like, I like Tyrod Taylor, too. I think he's one of those guys He just got to find – someone's just got to stick with him. Because he's yeah. got an arm. he got all the ability to be be a great one. But, yeah, that, when you do that rib thing, and you know it is hard to breathe. But go ahead. Sorry about that.
1: Well, uh, John, we got a bunch of teams that owe him to. Lions, Giants, Texans, Panthers, Bengals, Jets, Vikings, Eagles, Dolphins, Falcons, Broncos. Is there any coach who should be concerned about their job at this point?
4: Yeah, two. Matt Patricia and Adam Gaze. Patricia, from the standpoint, can you believe a team – with a defensive head coach that has blown four double-digit leads in his last four games dating back to last year. And when he's had double-digit leads when he's a head coach, he's 2-7-1. And he's a defensive coach. And a defensive coach that the players on defense don't like. So that's got to be bad. And then you got Adam Gaze, who right now looks totally clueless with the New York Jets. He's an offensive coach. They've got the worst offense in football. He was there to try to develop uh, Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, because of the wide receiver problems that they have, because of the play calling that they have. Remember, you, he doesn't like paying running backs. They gave him Le'Veon Bell at $14.1 million, and Le'Veon Bell averaged... Four, uh, what, 3.2 yards a carry, worst in Jets history. And now you look at this team, they have nothing left at wide receiver. I mean, he's in a stage right now where they have so many injuries on the team. He's just looking forward to somebody who has a chance to have a pulse to be able to play. This thing is an absolute disaster. Those two coaches, along with Dan Quinn, although I don't think they'll fire Dan Quinn, but I'd say Patricia and Adam Gaze are right now in the most vulnerable spots.
1: John, I got one more for you real quick. I was under the impression or I thought that coming into this season that if Carson Wentz didn't perform at a high level, Jalen Hurts would get an opportunity to play and he would take over that starting spot. What do you see as the quarterback situation in Philly.
4: I, I they'll stay with Carson Wentz. They're paying him what, thirty two million dollars a year, maybe not the thirty four that went to Jared Goff. But they'll still stand by him. You know, you go back to last year, they had nothing at wide receiver and he still got them into the playoffs. But clearly I think with the offensive line problems and remember they now have they're starting four of their five offensive linemen injured, including Andre Dillard. You know they had to put a guard down this week. You know there's nothing there, and he got sacked eight times in the first game. Does he have enough at wide receiver? And the answer We're is no. Off the air. So it's overall, it's going to be tough.
0: So John, uh, well, so you and I, just yeah. conversation, just in case.
1: Yeah, I'm right I, I, I wanted
0: to ask John about the Cowboys yeah. and who he thinks going to win because that was going to be my next question. Yeah, it'll be Seattle. the other thing
4: is, John? Yes. There's a few, <laughs> a few of them. If Just you can hear stoked. me, I them. say it's going to be Seattle because. i
0: need an engineer here. <laughs>
4: so i tell you what, what we're going to do, we're going to take a break here and continue along. We're going to be with the huddle. It's uh, 710 ESPN Seattle.